Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Lux mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. I, I love true crime and all that stuff. Yeah, nice. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of my favorite murder. And Yeah, oh yeah. The other one that I got into this year was Unsolved Mysteries, but I had to keep reminding oh my myself. God. I need to remind myself of the solved because i'm just like yeah, we're so no, no, I, w- I was watching unsolved mysteries and being like um should they rename it solved mysteries because you you know damn well who did each and every one of the i know it's obvious right i was like y'all should call it rename it to solved <laughs> I, <laughs> And welcome to another episode of Push the Envelope. I'm the AV Club's editor-in-chief, Patrick Gomez. And this week, we'll hear from Golden Globe winner Aquafina and Wander Darkly star, Sienna Miller. But before we get to that, we welcome the AV Club's video host and producer, Cameron Sheets. Thanks for joining, Cameron. Hey, thanks for having me back. Of course, of course. Uh, so, Cam, as you know very well, we're in the midst of the AV Club's Best of 2020 coverage. Everything from best movie trailers to TV episodes to albums to books, podcasts, games. Basically, if it was entertaining this year, we have a list for you. And uh, as part of that, the staff creates their ballots, submits suggestions, as I know you've been doing. Some <laughs> of those make the My list. My favorite time of year. Yeah, it's so fun. Uh, a lot of your contributions are, are making it to the list, but some of them are not. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of just give us an unfiltered take on some of your best and some of the biggest categories of entertainment. Does that sound good to you? <laughs> that's great. Unfiltered Cameron, my goodness. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, there, that's your reality show. Uh, I can't wait to I can't wait to watch. Um, but yeah, let's let's start off with with movies. I know you obviously get to watch a lot of films ahead of release because of the interviews that you do. You've probably yeah. you've probably seen almost as much, if not as much as our film editor, A.A. Dowd, which is a really cool aspect of your job. I feel so, so lucky. And obviously, a lot of the culture around that has changed. But yeah, there was I've spent a lot of my time over the past. Well, prior to quarantine in screening rooms and that sort of thing. And it feels very, very special. I remember seeing Hustlers well in advance of everyone else and being like, boy, oh boy, are you guys in for a treat? And I just kind of sat on that for a while. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but... I do find I do find it because, uh, you know, obviously we get Netflix screeners and all that kind of stuff way in advance that it's really fun to see stuff ahead of time. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it kind of takes the magic away from when it is released and everyone else is excited about it. Yes. I'm yeah. a little bit like, oh, yeah, that thing I saw six months ago. Yeah, I really liked it, too. Um, <laughs> it takes a little bit of that magic away, but I, I would, I'd, I'd rather be on the early end of stuff. But with all that said, um, movies. like, So you've seen a ton. What did you love the most out of this past year? Well, I, I keep coming back to something that actually really fits into the conversation we just had. I keep coming back to First Cow, which I saw much earlier in the year. I did see it in a screening room. You know, very, very lucky to have been able to do that. And it was one of the last movies I saw on a big screen before everything shut down. 
Now, this is a drama from the director, Kelly Reichert, who's done some some truly like AV Club favorites over the years, Wendy and Lucy, Certain Women. But First Cow is her latest. And I know that it had a small theatrical window back in March when I saw it. And then it kind of had a couple of months quiet time before it hit video on demand platforms. But I know that it is widely available now. And like, I can't recommend it enough. It It feels like it feels like peace to me. It's it's so calming and so expertly paced and plotted. It it just truly brings me peace. Um, but it stars John Magro and Orion Lee, and it's kind of this old West tale, really about the titular first cow uh, in this in in this part of, of the American West, and these two gentlemen who come from very, very different backgrounds, but kind of come together and hatch this scheme that they're going to sneak into this farm property, milk this cow in the middle of the night, and use the cow's milk to make these absolutely delicious biscuits that they'll then sell <laughs> to uh, people in the settlement. Um, I don't know. It's it's a really interesting critique of capitalism, I think, which, you know, this year of all years, <laughs> like, feels very relevant to me. But um it's also beyond that, just like a beautiful tale of friendship. And I think especially of like platonic male friendship, just something very sensitive and thoughtful that you don't see all that often at at the theater. So I don't know, it really struck a chord with me. It's certainly one of the quieter movies of the year, I'd say, but I have not been able to shake it. Peace, like that word you used to describe it, like really sticks out to me. Like that's that's amazing and something that something that we all need a little bit more of, particularly this year, but always really. Yeah, it, it's it it does it it's it feels that way. It's so serene. There's just so many little moments that like warm your heart. Uh, John Magaro plays the lead, uh, and he's the one that does the milking of the titular first cow. And every time he goes to do it, you know, it's kind of this tension-filled scene because they're sneaking onto this property to do it. But every time he goes to milk the cow, he's just talking to it so, so sweetly. And I'm like, <laughs> do I want to be sweetly talking to a cow or do I want to have John Magro sweetly talking to me? I don't know, but I just want to be living that experience. It's just so wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And there's like a metaphor there that we won't continue to go down. Um, uh, do, do, what about music? Let's, let's, move, let's move on yes. to the other subjects. <laughs> So um, a fully, fully different vibe, I guess we'll say, is another album that stuck with me since earlier in the year. And that is the debut album from Rina Sawayama called Sawayama. Now, Rina is a London-based musician. She's pretty new to the scene. She's put out some singles and an EP over the past couple of years. But this is really her first big statement. And I think she really has made quite the statement with it. This album is and I mean this in the absolute best way, like all over the place. She really has this knack for taking all these genres of music that she grew up with and distilling them into this like purified version of modern pop. There's a lot at work here. You could listen to any song and be like, okay, I'm getting a little bit of like power pop. I'm getting a little bit of like old school R&B pop. Um, I'm also getting a little bit of like new metal. There's some like very obvious evanescence and even like corn and limp biscuit influence in this. And I promise if you haven't heard it, it sounds way better than you're probably ma- imagining right now. Uh, have you heard this <laughs> well, album yet? Yeah. And you were advocating for this uh, during our best of the year so far coverage in the summer, correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, sh- this album has kind of just always been at my top of the year. And 
I specifically got to write about halfway through the year the song called Bad Friend, which is truly this like ode. I mean, wow. Okay, I'm seeing a theme here. This is an ode to to friendship, but it's kind of, you know, we get so many pop songs about relationships and toxic romantic relationships, but this one is is about friendship. And the way she kind of turns it into this big soaring epic song. I mean, she's backed by a choir towards the end of it. It's it's astounding, really. And I, I think that, like, I could go on to say more, but I just know that Elton John, like me, has been a fan of this album since it first came out and has been, like, constantly telling people about it, which I just think is so funny. So uh, don't take my word for it. Take Elton John's. <laughs> well, we'll take your word for it, too. But yeah, you, uh, you writing about it for our Best of the Year So Far coverage uh, was actually what got it on my radar. So thank you for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have a feeling this is going to continue your your trend uh, of <laughs> friendship. Um, but let's talk a little bit about what you were loving in the world of TV. Yeah, I mean, TV has been such a respite throughout the year. But the one that makes me feel like no other is Pen15, which, as you alluded to, does center on uh, the friendship of two seventh graders in the year 2000, uh, Maya and Anna, played by Maya Erskine and Anna Conkle. You know, at this point, the show's on its second season. I think many folks are pretty well aware of it. But I just really wanted to stress how incredible it is and how much it really kind of evolved it into something even deeper and more moving in its second season. I think the first season did a lot of the groundwork of of kind of introducing you to this world. And it's, and it's kind of strange rules, you know, as is widely known. These are two 30-something actors playing the middle school versions of themselves and they're surrounded by other middle school age actors so (laughs) once you get over that little hump you start to realize that right this has a lot to say of course about the early 2000s the year 2000 in particular so many great references to the pop culture of that time but it also has a lot to say about female friendship and and friendship in general and how important and foundational that is when you're growing up and and coming of age and, and really just putting these these young women's stories front and center. I mean, I th- I think the second season goes a long way of of kind of turning this whole idea, this middle school idea of like, oh, she, you know, the, the name calling and, and being a slut, which this kind of has a whole episode that picks apart what that even means and how it's unfair that the women get called that, but the boys just kind of are, are cool. Um, but then it also gets into divorce and it means a lot to me. I th- I think I do see a lot of myself and my friends' selves in these characters, and they just bring so much heart to it. And truly, like, two of the best performances on television, like, very, very wacky, sure, but, like, they, they nail every moment of it, I've got to say. Yeah, it's it's it would be so easy for that, that show to go wrong. And mm-hmm. it somehow continues to, like, turn just before it, it should or would go wrong. Uh, and, and I agree, it's been a slow burn, which has been nice to see. You know, we, we see a lot of stuff like come out and get a huge response right away. Uh, yeah. And this show, certainly people noticed it at the very beginning, but I think it's been a little bit of a slow burn. And I think ultimately could have a little bit of a Schitt's Creek experience of people really mm-hmm. finding it as it continues to go on. And I hope that it it, it does for more seasons because as you mentioned it's it's unique and different and yet uh entirely enjoyable um so i'm right there with you i yeah i think i think you're you're spot on with that and i'm also drawing another parallel between this and uh the rina sawayama album i mean as i mentioned both of these have a lot of nostalgia for the turn of the millennium which 
you know, those were my middle school years, much like Anna and Maya. So I, I think that this is, they're both really striking a nerve with me for that reason. And maybe this year of all years where we've got a lot of time to sit and reflect <laughs> on our life, um, maybe these feel comforting to me for that reason. I don't know. I haven't dug deep enough yet, yet but maybe there's a, <laughs> this is, a, a yeah, therapist this is or someone therapy. who can talk to you about that. <laughs> yeah, this is this is now therapy, free therapy for you. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it's not just staff that we're asking about when it comes to 2020 favorites. We're also talking to the people that we've written about this year and asking them to share what they've been loving these past 12 months. One of those people is actually Aquafina, who, and this is like when I realized that this was this year, blew my mind. Uh, this year won her Golden Globe for The Farewell. Um, that wow. was in January, uh, which is also when we saw Nora from Queens come out on Comedy Central, mm -hmm. which was a show we were discussing at uh, Best of the Year So Far time. So, you know, she started off with this great year, and I feel like the pandemic has kind of made that seem like that was three years ago at this point. But after praising Aquafina so much over the, the early months of the year, we thought it was only fair if we gave her a chance to give out some kudos. So uh, here's what she had to say when we asked her about what she's been loving in 2020. I'm sure you're more crazy traveling and doing stuff than most. Uh, how have you been spending your time this year as you've been more, more stationary? Well, um, I was shooting a movie, uh, Shang-Chi in, in, in Sydney. I went out there probably around January. And then in March, we, we went into hiatus and, and I came back home to LA. And at that point, LA had already been kind of locked down a little bit. So, so half of it has been working and then half of it has also just been kind of, you know, at home and stuff. And I think the question more is like, for me, it was, it's kind of like reconfiguring how I spent my time before and, you know, how that kind of differs with like what matters to me now, what's important. You know, I think the, the pandemic has devastated a lot of industries. And when it comes to my industry, you know, there are a lot of people who aren't working right now. And uh, it's so it's like, you know, to find a balance of that, you have, you, you're very blessed if you, if you can be working, but yeah, the rest of the time, I think it's just a lot of video games and a lot of, kind of waiting it out, you know? Well, speaking of video games, you know, we would love to hear some of the things that you've been entertaining yourself with this year. Uh, yeah. So, um, let's start with video games. Uh, you know, what have you been playing? Um, wow. Uh, like so much. I mean, I've definitely, I opened up the quarant the quarantine, probably definitely playing Animal Crossing and Mario Kart. I have a PC. I, I got a PC. I, I, I play um, this word typing game. It's like it scrolls the words and then you just type the word in. So not like hardcore cool ones. Like I'm not like on Among Us, you know, <laughs> because that's like what all cool ki cats and kittens are playing nowadays. But no, I'm not. Um, yeah, that I, I, I got a bass guitar, picked up the bass. Um, karaoke, which actually... I, I don't know if you saw the the stuff we did with Heineken, but that was bestgiftever.com. It's 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 something Heineken's doing this year to kind of um promote connection where there where there's a there's not the ability to find much. And and so for me, I was able to surprise my best friend with like a mobile karaoke booth, which was so sick and like off the chain, but you can basically like send yourself to your your bestie. And, and I think it, I, I don't know. I just, um, I thought it was a good, a cool thing for Heineken to be doing this year just to just kind of, um, you know, allow people to stay in touch 
and kind of send, send that initial message that like, even though we can't be together right now, you know, I would like to. Well, fair. Um, I want to go back to something you just mentioned, though. You picked up the bass. Had that been an instrument you experimented with before, or was this a completely new uh, endeavor? In junior high school, I played the trumpet. So that's like how I, that was like my main, my main gig. But then I picked up the bass because it was like on a different scale. And like, I thought that was really interesting, but I had low bass self-esteem. So when, you know, in, in the room, I, you know, I'd be, and this was like, like a, not like a band, like a rock band. This was like concert, like we're playing classical music. But then when we'd go on to stage, like during our shows, I'd have the bass plugged in, but I'd lower the volume because I just didn't want to hit the wrong note. So the band teacher is always like, bring up, I need the bass. So I had like really low bass self-esteem, but, uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I got, I went to guitar center. I bought a new one and, uh, I bought the same book that I learned in junior high school and I'm just like relearning it getting some, getting some calluses. So I'm like, all right, you know, nice. Would you say that you're in the base or no, not, not in the slightest. (laughs) Um, so my, my base confidence is very, very low, but would you say that you've, you've increased your base confidence now? Um, not to where I'd like, but yeah, I mean, I could play like, I could play along and take it easy now. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Well, in ter- you've been playing some music, but in terms of what you've been listening to, have there been any albums or singles that you've really enjoyed this year or uh, podcasts? What have you been listening to? For me this year, it's weird because I, I feel like I, I did this whole like, well, first I did this exploration back into like high school, like what I listened to high school. And then I kind of just listened to that, you know, that. Uh, I, I, there's like this, why Georgia, you know, that song, John Mayer. I feel like it's just like endlessly looping in my car. I also listened to a lot of like yacht rock this year. I don't know, for some reason I just went like, I went back. So I listened to a lot of like, a lot of Fleetwood Mac, a lot of, uh, uh, Hall and Oates and, um, this song called Steal Away by Robbie Dupree. That's like the song of my year pretty much. Yeah. A lot of old, a lot of older like yacht rocky and stuff like that. And then like I, you know, rediscovering Beirut. Do you remember Beirut? Yeah. They were like hitting like they Beirut slapped, dude. You know, like they they were a slap. Uh so yeah, let's I did a lot of like nostalgic music this year. Um podcasts, you know, I haven't I haven't listened to podcasts in a while. But when when I was, I was one of my favorite ones is a uh, criminal, just like an episodic but, and then, but yeah, I've been like, obviously binging a lot of TV shows and stuff like that. Watching what, have you, what have you been watching? What, what TV or movies have you, have you been uh, watching this year? Um, so everything. One that I saw recently that was interesting was uh, My Octopus Teacher and uh, The Undoing I just saw. And then catching up on a lot of older stuff. Like I hadn't seen The Matrix. I hadn't seen Steel Magnolias, saw that. Yeah, just watching a lot of stuff that I hadn't never seen before. Yeah. Uh, well, I heard you quote Carol Baskin earlier, so I'm assuming Tiger King was on that list <laughs> in the early early days of the pandemic. <laughs> yep. Yeah. What is it about that about that show? Do you think that because I was trying to think about it, and in like maybe it was the timing, but there was something that just captivated everyone by that. What for you made it worth to watch? Yeah. Well, I think um, I mean like anything that has characters captivating characters whether that's fiction or non-fiction that's going to have something that takes your attention whether it's good or bad right and you really can't get 
more of a character than Joe Exotic or Carol Baskin. I mean, those are exquisitely written and portrayed if you could write them, you know, layered, flawed, with humility and then without, you know, it's like, it's just so much. And I think also like, you know, Netflix in general has had this genre that has pulled me in from the jump, like Wild Wild, the Wild Wild Country, Evil Genius, these kind of like really in-depth, like a uh, true crime documentary series that also have has like this historical aspect, you know? And then also I think um, I've always been really interested in like these kind of slice of life stories, which I think is another kind of story that Tiger King is. But yeah, I, I love true crime and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. nice. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of my favorite murder. And yeah, oh yeah. The other one that I got into this year was Unsolved Mysteries, but I had to keep reminding oh my myself. God. I had to well, keep reminding what? myself of the solved because I'm just like, yeah, we're so no, used no, to I, I was watching Unsolved Mysteries and being like, um, should they rename it Solved Mysteries? Because you you know damn well who did each and every one of the I know. It's obvious, right? I was like, y'all should call it rename it to solved. <laughs> I, because I remember the original one, they weren't all solved. Like yeah. some of them were like, give me closure, you know? Like, this is why I'm watching Forensic Files. I, I need closure, y'all. Exactly, exactly. The hotline number, and it's like, no, this was in 1992. I, I can't believe that this is still unsolved. I cannot tell you what a pleasure it was to chat with Aquafina. I don't know if you've had the chance to, Cameron, but she is exactly what you would imagine she is like um, in in a way that is not over the top. You know, it's like it's like some comedians or, or people that kind of, you know, started out being these like over the top personalities. You're like, I don't know, that would be a lot 24 seven. But she's just enough of that to show that that's who she truly is. But she's able to turn it down to a point that you're like, oh, I could sit and have a conversation with you. It's not constantly being on and jokes yeah. and, and mm-hmm. over the top. Like, she's just, she's she's a gem. I, I would, totally. I, I, I want to I wanna hang out with her uh, <laughs> when we, when, when hanging out is a thing we can do again. <laughs> um, but, you know, we've been talking all about Best of 2020 for this episode, but it's it's not as though there's nothing else coming out before 2021. Um, so, uh, I know there's, there's lots of great content that's still, that's still coming out. And, and one of those is, uh, Sienna Miller's new film, Wander Darkly. And Cam, you got a chance recently to chat with Sienna about that movie. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and the film and why it's something that should be on our radar? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I have to say, this is a movie that's been on my radar for a long while. I think even before it was officially announced because, um, last summer, as in, 2019, the before times, I had the pleasure of doing a random roles interview with the incredible Beth Grant, one of just the best character actors of all time. It was a lovely, lovely chat. She baked me cookies. I can't say enough good things about it. But she had just wrapped filming this movie called Wander Darkly. And she was like, Sienna Miller's in it. And it's amazing. And she's going to get awards for it. It's just so, so good. And I was like, Wander Darkly. What does that even mean? Like, what could this be? Um, so I've been patiently waiting for this film since then. I had a film festival debut earlier this year, and then I got to see it most recently here at the AFI Film Festival, the Los Angeles-based one, which, you know, was all digital, much like every other festival. But it's now getting, you know, it's it's, it's finally getting its VOD rollout. So everyone should be able to see this. But um, it's a really, really interesting movie that is hard to describe. And that is something that Sienna and I talked about. 
But it's, for lack of a better way to put it, there is a woman who's in this committed relationship, but they go through this traumatic experience, and she has these very supernatural flashes back through her life, but specifically through her relationship with this gentleman, uh, the gentleman being played by the great Diego Luna. Uh, Beth Grant is in this film, and she plays Sienna's mom. It's a small role for Beth, so this is largely a two-hander. But this comes from the director, Tara Meal, who put a lot of her own self into this. This is heavily inspired by an actual traumatic incident in her own life. So it's a very personal, intimate movie, but like very, very grand in scope. Um, (laughs) That's probably the best way I can put it now. I knew I would struggle summing it up. So I basically was like, you know what? I'm going to have Sienna do this for me. I'm going to have Sienna tell me how she would describe this. So that's exactly how we kick things off. Tell us a little bit about what Wonder Darkly is and what your role is in in the film. Um, Wonder Darkly is a, I think at its heart, it's sort of a love story. It's um, the experience of, a relationship between a man and a woman who are struggling and they've had a baby and they get into an accident. And my character, Adrian, is confused as to whether she died during that accident or is alive. And Adrian, uh, Matteo, her husband, a boyfriend, excuse me, is the only person that can see her. And they kind of go on this journey back to the inception of their relationship and look at the moments where they went wrong and see the relationship from each other's perspectives. And Lots of other things are revealed along the way. It's kind of genre bending, time warping, you know, in the vein of like a eternal sunshiny type vibe. But um, it's quite hard to describe. <laughs> yeah, that's why I was like, you know what? I'll see Anna do it. Yeah, just a load of adjectives. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it's it. You'll know when you see it what it is. I also think, and I wonder what your thoughts are on this, but I I feel that it's a savvy move that it's coming out around holiday season because there's something to the structure that reminds me of it's a wonderful life or a christmas carol where you're like totally going, it's a supernatural trip back through someone's life i have i haven't heard the christmas carol one before i have heard it it's a wonderful life once before in conversations um yeah because that, that i think that that idea of going back and exploring your own life and and noticing the moments that you didn't notice that were kind of pivotal is a really interesting concept. I would love to be able to do that in reality. I also think it's a perfect movie to be coming out now because everybody can somewhat relate to the absolute disorientation and discombobulation of my character in this film. I mean, it's, and, and what it's really about is, is love. And I think that we premiered at Sundance and the kind of overriding response from the audience members would, when they finished, would just that they wanted to call the people they loved. And I think we're probably looking for connection more than ever. So go wonder darkly 2020. <laughs> now you've, you've talked previously about being very, having this very strong emotional response to the script. So I wondered if you could tell me a little bit about that. What initially really struck you? It's really hard to say. I think, I think I was really stunned by the, the things that I didn't expect to happen that happened. And I felt really filled with grief reading it. And then I felt sort of uplifted and moved by the ending and how I, I think the thing that always really moves me is just how people get through things. You know, it's really simple, but humans are kind of astounding in that way. And, and to explore somebody going through something which is so shocking and jarring and, 
and come out the other side and kind of be rebuilding themselves and letting things go. I just, that stuff gets me courage, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that it's not insignificant that we're getting this story through your perspective, through a woman's perspective. I mean, the examples we've cited, Eternal Sunshine, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, we're, we're seeing it, you know, with a, a man at the center. And I just wondered what you think the female perspective kind of lends this, this narrative. I think that it's just more, it's interesting to sort of examine the female psyche in, you know, as much as it is to examine the males. And I wonder, I, I wonder if it's gender specific, like your responses to things. I think, I think grief is probably pretty universal, but the way that it's expressed may be different. And I don't know. I think just there's, there's just more room in the world to explore the female experience, you know, as we represent more than half of the population. And that's, been an undernourished part of this industry and it feels like it's changing so that's good yeah of course and I mean your writer director Tara brings such it's it's a very personal story for her in a lot of ways well you know I knew that it was somewhat personal to her the story she and her husband had had this car accident and she'd had this split second where she thought did I actually die which was in retrospect looking back um it was kind of it was odd at first because I, I was somewhat playing her. And so I, when I first met her, I kind of paid a lot of attention and did little things that she did in the movie, which she noticed. And it was, we didn't really comment on, but once we started, that was before, I think once we started shooting, she let it go and it was more mine. Um, but I felt the pressure to do a good job because it was so personal to her because she, you know, this was her story. And also it's not easy to be a writer, director, in Hollywood as a woman and I was just filled with respect it was also the crew was was so many women the DP was a woman the producers a woman it was really it was really exciting to see how things have shifted yeah to sort of shift gears and and talk about a man (laughs) I did want to bring up Diego as well um I know that you and Diego have been friends for a minute and I actually read in another interview Tara was talking about Diego slightly resembles her husband in some way which which I just thought was (laughs) very very funny detail but what was it like to to get to work with him so closely on this? It, he's uh, the most, I don't know whether you've, have you interviewed him? Did you say I have not. No. He's about the kindest human that you'll come across. No ego, no arrogance, is a director as well. So really understands the medium of film and is just gracious and kind and like will mine and mine and mine to get something right, which is the way that I like to work as well. And I think working with someone that you really like when you have to do such intimate scenes and be so vulnerable. And, you know, it's, it would be really much, much harder if there was somebody with a kind of arrogant energy in that room. Mm-hmm. So I'm fortunate. He's also just brilliant. I also wanted to briefly touch on another co-star of yours is, is Beth Grant, who I have the honor. I did talk to her well over a year ago and she had told me she had just wrapped working on this movie and told me how special it was going to be. So I've been looking forward to it since then. <laughs> but she gets to play your mother. She's also in Factory Girl. Did you know that? That's right. I don't remember if we even touched you on that. You have to revisit it and find Beth, where you can do like a Where's Waldo and spot Grant. Yeah. She's heaven on earth, that woman. I love her madly. Yes, I have to say, when I think of that interview, I, I get, you know, I just miss those days when we got to do interviews in person mostly because she baked me cookies which doesn't always happen yeah, she brings snacks to set she's such a mama <laughs> love that um so i did want to talk about the title i i know that tara's talked about the title wander darkly came from a lord byron poem but i wondered what 
what does the title mean to you? I mean, what's your interpretation of it? And what does it mean within the context of the film? Um, I'm going to just be really literal. I mean, I think that essentially I love how poetic it sounds. I didn't know that it was a Byron, uh, that it was taken from Byron until we were doing an interview the other day. So I, I don't know why I didn't ask. But I think it's sort of the experience of moving through life in these moments. You're kind of wondering, <laughs> I'm just going to riff now. <laughs> and you're wondering darkly. Um, it's obviously a dark, <laughs> a dark moment in her life and she's wandering through it. It's very evocative, certainly. It, it's evocative and it, and it does fit with the tone of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I agree with that completely. But it is also a very sunny movie in the sense that it's a very L.A. movie, you know, and I think it's always the cliche to be like, well, L.A. is the third character. And I think it's kind of true in a lot of ways. We get to see so much of it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's no better place to to make a film than L.A. I feel like that obviously that's what the town was somewhat designed for Hollywood specifically. But when you have a 5 a.m. pickup and the sun is rising and it's clear blue skies and sunny, it's just like ideal. And it's as a little girl when you want to be an actor, that's, that was my image of making a film. So any time I get to come there and work, I'm thrilled, as is my kid, because there's like a pool sometimes. Um, <laughs> whereas in London, where I'm shooting now, you know, when you get up at five in the morning, it's pitch black until like nine or something. That's a little bit more challenging. Um, I got to see Tara lives in East LA and I hadn't spent much time there as the tourist that I am. And so that was a fascinating thing to see and to shoot above the 10 freeway and like climb up a, mm-hmm. a little fence and look over that, you know, it's, it was, it was amazing. And we also obviously went out on the boat. I can't remember where we went, but we were in LA. Gorgeous. Um, yeah. So the dolphins and, you know, I, it was, it was a real tour. Is there a specific scene or moment that you felt really pushed you, I guess, is, is the best way to put it? I think that the most, the most difficult moment was probably when, I, when the realization happens for me, while not being too specific. And I, I'm going through a box of belongings and I, I felt really like I, I, don't, I don't think there's any more I could have given in that moment specifically. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I really felt that on a really deep visceral level. So that's the thing that jumps out as like the deepest pain for me that moment. Um, but it was really difficult to shift gears within a scene with Diego and be kind of in the scene from the past and then suddenly comment on it from the present. That felt very strange and was really hard to do and really hard essentially to feel good about because it's just not what happens in real life. And I think as actors, you spend most of your time trying to do the best job possible of being as natural. That's certainly the way that I like to act. That felt clunky. Mm. Real trust in our director, who was like, it's working, it's working. We're like, <laughs> we were being kind of real actory paranoid people. <laughs> Again, to speak of your director, I read in an interview, she she had talked about working with you on this. And, I, you know, again, as we've talked, this is so personal. So you two really had to kind of establish this connection. But she had mentioned in casting, she was very excited because she's she says she's always seen you as an ingenue with a character actor soul. I mean, that's definitely what I want to be. That's what I've always tried to be. I think that's what I I want to disappear into something. I want to get lost in something. I do like to play people that are pretty far removed from myself. Um, I love that she's called me an ingenue. In fact, I'm going to get a little poster made, (laughs) stick that at the end of my bed, because it's like about the most aspirational. I don't know. It's the loveliest thing to hear 
it's everything I want to be. I'm going to let her, I'm just going to, I'm just going to pretend that it lands and I agree with it. (laughs) You know how these things are. It's a lovely thing to hear about yourself, but I am. Yeah. I love, I love playing real characters. And I think about some of the women I played and if you line them all up in like a mugshot scenario, it would be pretty funny. They're all really different. The thing that I'm working on now in London is my own voice. My, I'm English and I feel completely exposed in it. It's really wow. difficult for me. So I'm trying to sort of find the character within it that's also a little bit closer to me. And that's, yeah, I, I think if you let me loose in a prop cupboard, I'd come out with, you know, I don't know what. <laughs> it, would be, it would be very different to, to what people know me as. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite roles of yours, aside from Wander Darkly, is, is your work as, as Nina in The Lost City of Zed. I think that, that that film is just incredible. Uh, but the way that your role is weaved in, I mean, so often we see this trope of, of the, the wife that's left at home and, and she's there maybe as, well, you said prop cupboard. She's maybe there as a prop, but that is not at all the case in that film. And I loved how intentional it was in, in bringing humanity to her and showing her side of the story. And I, I feel like you bring that to a lot of your work, certainly. Thank you. I also battered James Gray over the head to make sure that I wasn't just the wife stayed at home. And he honored that. And it was really important to him as well that that her story was represented. Obviously, that film was, you know, that story took place in an era where the women were left behind and mm-hmm. the men got off and have adventures. And the adventure of just raising the kids was not something that people focused on. But I think that um, the way that the movie ends with her experience of the grief of not knowing where those two people are I thought that was really noble and he's such a brilliant director and writer and friend and yeah I love that film too because it feels like a proper proper old-fashioned Visconti or something it's like there are there are moments in that where I'm like that looks like the leopard or you know it's fun to have been in something that that's that ambitious mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that final shot I will never ever forget <laughs> uh, yeah Beautiful. He built that little jungle in the back of a room in Belfast. <laughs> that is amazing. It was really amazing. Well, you said ambitious and, you know, to bring it back into Wander Darkly specifically. We, we talked about people wanting to call loved ones afterwards, but what do you kind of hope people take away from this beyond that? I think that the job of any, of any cinema or any art really is to move people. I hope that people have an experience that takes them out of their own for a couple of hours or whatever it is one hour and a half um and that something about the experience makes you feel closer to life and being a human and that's kind of what I always aspire to also to look at the people that you sometimes don't see in society I did this movie American Woman about a a mother last year that came out and a mother who lost a child again grief (laughs) this is really my forte But this is the kind of woman that you wouldn't necessarily focus on. And yet everybody's got their story, you know, and I sort of think that there's something that's quite unifying about sitting in someone else's experience, especially when it's mining something that is happens to every human on earth at some point, unless they're rampant sociopaths. But the experience of grief is something we all have to think about and, and deal with. And to see that expressed in a way that might be consoling or to make you think about how much you love the people that you've maybe been shitty towards Mm. reach out to them. You know, that's then it's ticked a box. It's achieved something. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
I have to be 100% honest and say I never didn't like Sienna Miller, but she just, I, I never really thought anything one way or the other about her. But he, hearing her talk about her work uh, and particularly this project really made me want to see the film and, and really like respect what she takes when she's coming into a piece. Uh, it was a great conversation, Cam. Yeah, I, I mean, I had such a good time. And she she has been someone whose career has like, uh, you know, I, I've 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 been aware of it for years, but I, it's so infrequently that we do see her front and center in the way that this movie puts her, and it's it's a fantastic showcase. I mean, such a range of emotions, and and as we mentioned, this movie balances a lot of different tones, and she she handles it all with ease. So, I think one of the things uh, about Sienna Miller really is that you know she is conventionally gorgeous, and that's a that's a a type in Hollywood that we normally would see her always looking exactly like herself and playing certain types of roles. And and I think back to, I feel like Sienna Miller is a person who pops up in movies and I'm always like, who is that? And somebody's like, oh, that's Sienna Miller. And I'm like, oh, cool, I know her. Um, but it's <laughs> she always looks different. She always has a completely different feel. Like she's almost, she's a character actress almost that, that just has leading lady um, looks. And I think that that's something that's worked really well for her, but I think also is kind of, kept her in this weird space, at least personally for me, where I've never known, I've never known where she fits in my, in my categorizations in my head that I need to just get rid of because they're just doing good work and she's doing fantastic work. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's why I enjoyed that conversation because you really get a sense that, you know, especially these past few years, she's pretty intentional in the project projects she chooses. So, and, and, and this is one of those. <laughs> Well, this has been a pleasure, Cam, to be uh, a little bit of your therapist today to uh, <laughs> to get to um, gush about Sienna Miller. It, it's been it's been a lot of fun, but that's uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Push the Envelope. Cam, where can people find you on social media? I am on the social platforms at Cameron Sheets, so that's just my name: C A M E R O N S C H E E T Z. So find me there. Perfect. And mine is similar, almost just my name, Patrick Gomez, L.A., as in Los Angeles. Uh, if you can find me there, let us know your thoughts on what your favorite things are of the year. If you get a chance to watch Wander Darkly, you can let us know if you agree with Cam's adoration uh, or Sienna Miller's uh, attempt to explain what it's about. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, until next episode, we appreciate you listening. Please remember to subscribe and like and comment and do all those other things that tells Apple and Spotify and all the other platforms that we are uh, an entirely worthwhile experience, which we hope you feel we are. But until next time, bye. Later. This episode of the AV Club's Push the Envelope was brought to you by producer Michaela Heck and sound engineer Ryan Allen. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.